Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. Matthew Dickerson. Tech Talk. Sit back and relax. It's time to talk technology. Hello, pleasure cruisers. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm here to guarantee that you have landed in exactly the right place today. Thank you for joining us on another tour of the future at Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. And here he is, the man himself. How are you, Matt? And what's been on your mind this week? I always look forward, James, to where are you going to take us this week? So we're a pleasure cruiser this <laughs> That's week. That's right. <laughs> boop, boop. Yeah, not entirely uh, environmentally friendly, but who cares? We're oh, on the ride. We might have a story about that that might make pleasure cruisers a little bit yeah, more environmentally perhaps. friendly. Yeah, very subtle there. So the thing that's really caught my attention over the last couple of weeks has been the Apple launch. Now, we get all excited about... Oh, of course. About, now, if anyone loves an Apple launch, you love an Apple launch. Well, I just like launches. I like Samsung launches. Yeah. I like getting up at three or four in the morning. This one was five o'clock in the five morning. Five o'clock in the morning. Okay, good time to get different. up for a launch. I want them to start doing them maybe nighttime launches in America so I could get up at a reasonable time here. But <laughs> this one's in the afternoon. Normally, they're in the morning in America. But anyway, I, I like getting up early just to watch new technology. But... And, and hang on a second, and I, I've never caught a launch before live. Right. There's a lot of hype. There's a lot of um, bring it on and a lot of cheering, a lot of clapping, a lot of ticker tape and stuff, yeah? No. All the hype that you can think of, mm. multiply that by infinity, <laughs> and that's what you get. And you've with, got yourself an Apple launch. That's right, <laughs> in particular with an Apple launch. Every now and again, they'll have a new product thrown in there amongst the hype, but mainly <laughs> it's, it's hype city. Yeah. Think about Super Bowl ads, the hype around those, and mm. then multiply it by another infinity, and you're getting somewhere close to around an Apple launch. Right, and it's been a bit tougher for them, obviously, doing it remotely or virtually, sorry, not remotely, because you can't have all the people in the crowd whoop, whooping, so mm. you've got to have people on fan walls whoop, whooping. You've got to have other ways of creating that whole atmosphere, the fake atmosphere that Americans love so much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but what I was disappointed about this time, so you get up at this time, 5 o'clock in the morning, you get up. I didn't get for my bike ride early in the morning because I wanted to sit there and watch the Apple launch and see all these wonderful new products that were going to change the world. And I got... Two new colors of an existing phone. Oh wow! <laughs> you the thought I'm up at five. The iPhone in the 13 and the iPhone 13 Pro now come in green. Ah. That wasn't worth getting up at five o'clock in the morning for. I'm sorry. Now there were some it other products. It didn't change the color of your day. It did not. It made it a bit green in the eyes, I think. But it. There were some other products. To be fair, there were some other products launched. We're not going to talk about them today because obviously everyone's caught them. They've already been launched. It's a week old now, so everyone's read about them in every newspaper. We like to do things a bit more futuristic and stuff that happened you know, yesterday. That's old hat now, so we don't talk about things. But I just, it's probably an indication that it's really getting tough for manufacturers to come up with new revolutionary yeah. products that really change the world. And an indication of that was the fact that green was one of the things that they announced for an existing product that came out in September last year. So the design team, they've all been given the sack, we assume, <laughs> and they've brought in a completely new design team with uh, laced with under-12s and whatnot to say what they want <laughs> out right. of their iPhone. Yeah, yeah, wow. They had the crayons out. What if we make it in green? Oh, yeah, that'll do. We'll <laughs> launch that. <laughs> it could be worse. You could get someone like Homer Simpson in there redesigning it completely uh, and having all sorts of things sticking out of it. But uh, anyway, right. we should move on. Uh, in a world of trouble and strife, we're only interested in bringing you good news today, folks. We're in it for the vibes, as I believe the young folks say. Today, people, we're talking about solutions in the bedroom. Oh, yeah, you heard that right. And we got some solutions for your petrol bill. No more trips to the supermarket, so that ought to help. And we've got some peace of mind for holiday makers out there, because that's how we roll. Now, how do you predict if an ad will work or not? 
wouldn't be on this show if it wasn't if there wasn't an answer about tech there somewhere. Matt, ad making is a scientist or is a science, isn't it? Absolutely right. I think in the old days, people used to sit around and get some focus groups in and say, "Would you buy this product?" And that was relevant to the people in the room if they needed to buy that widget or that thing that was being advertised. But if mm. you didn't need it, it was pretty hard for that focus group to give you an answer as to whether that ad would work. And there's a, a famous gorilla ad, a gorilla drumming ad for Cadbury. Oh, yeah, I love this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think a lot of people do. Yeah, well, it made number five in the top ten ads of the decade in the UK. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, folks, Google it um, after you listen to the show. Yeah. yeah, absolutely right. If you just go and uh, probably Google gorilla, gorilla Cadbury, ad. yeah, yep, and that'll be it. So here we are. They're still getting advertising value out of it a decade later. We mentioned the Cadbury yeah, yeah. brand name. But what was fascinating about that is that Cadbury in-house marketing team made it. And it sat there for nine months because they weren't sure if it would work. And the executives that made the decision went, you've just got a gorilla playing the drums. That's it. How <laughs> does that relate? We paid you all this money. That's and right. <laughs> How does that relate to Cadbury whatsoever? And the beginning of the ad. Yeah. Does it actually it, have the logo or anything Cadbury on At the it beginning all? of the ad, before the ad starts, it has a glass and a half full production. So okay. you get a bit of an indication, glass and a half, very famous linkage with Cadbury. Yeah, right. You see the ad. There's no gorilla stuffing himself with chocolate, which is what I was kind of expecting <laughs> halfway through the ad. And at the end, it says a glass and a half full of joy, or words to that effect. Yeah, right. So it's very subtle in terms of its linkage with Cadbury. But what happened in the end, the reason they actually got that ad to air, the reason they used that ad was because the in-house marketing team couldn't convince the executives to do anything with it until they took it to a tech company. And the tech company said, we'll gauge the emotional response from this ad to see whether or not you'll sell chocolates from it. And they went, okay, if that'll convince someone, sure, go for it. So what they do is they play these ads to focus group type people, but all do it online. So you don't come into a focus group and say, hey, James, what did you think of that ad? Would you buy a Cadbury chocolate from that? They just run these now online. You can sign up to be a tester or an emotional responder. And they play an ad. They don't necessarily tell you who it's for. It might feature the product. It may not. And then they say, tell us how you feel. Tell us your emotional response. Uh, so it's all about the feel, the vibe. It's all about the feel. And yeah. then if it's a good positive response, and obviously there's lots of emotions, one company, there's a number of companies that do this, for example, but one company just has a bunch of choices at the bottom. At the end, when you watch the ad, you just choose contempt, surprise, anger, disgust, fear, happiness, sadness, or neutral. Now, I assume neutral would be the absolutely worst emotion you could yeah, have Yeah, well, I guess, ad. yeah, anger or whatever, it, yeah, some of those angry ads, if they're, if they're initiating that sort of emotion, you're still responding to it. And there is a chance that that might work for you. We're remembering the ad to start off with. Well, if it's anger that you have, then the next day at work, you're going to be saying, did you see that stupid ad last night? Gee, I got angry about that. What was that ad for? Widget X. Oh, gee, I haven't seen that ad for Widget X. I'll tell my other friend about it. it. That's right. So that's the incredible thing now that a lot of these ads that you're seeing have been through some sort of emotional response process. Very cheap for firms to do it because they're doing it all online. They're paying their emotional responders a small amount of money. Hey, what's this ad? And we'll pay you $20 or some small amount and people go, sure, I'll watch a 30 second ad and get 20 bucks out of it. That sounds fantastic. But for the advertisers, they're getting this really good feedback as to Mm. a group of hundreds of people, thousands of people maybe, how are they going to respond to that emotionally? And when you talk to some psychologists, which they did in, in one of these articles that I read about this, they talked that a way to make people remember things is their emotion. And if you think about significant things in your life, it might have been a a trip to Disneyland, it might have been some birthday party or some event, 
you kind of think about the emotions, how happy you were, the emotions associated mm. with it. You might forget some of the details, but you're like, oh, that was a good day, or oh, I remember that day, I was so sad, something happened. But those emotional things are the things that stick in your mind rather than yeah. necessarily the actual process of the events. If someone said, remember that school graduation ceremony we went to where nothing exciting happened? Mm, no, not really. So you, you, yeah. you don't really remember things unless there's some emotional response. So you're going to remember ads if you have an emotional response. So this is fascinating where we're going with technology. Obviously, it's cheaper for advertisers. The old Henry Ford quote said that only half of my advertising works. I just don't know which half. And that's what they're trying to do with this. They're trying to narrow it down so that you really know the advertising that works. Well, that gorilla ad, I know it's got that deep purple Cadbury background there and it's got that gorilla and it's just sort of, he starts off just snorting a little bit and just, <laughs> just you know, um, you know, meditating per se. And they've, they've got that music playing in the background. And then as the music builds, yeah. he starts to, starts to G up a bit. And it's, and it's actually initiating an emotive response right now. And I know... <laughs> That when I listen to that song on the radio, if it ever comes on, yep. that um, that I think about that ad. You think about the gorilla. Yeah, oh, I no. think about the gorilla. <laughs> oh, no. And it is just so cool. Anyway. <laughs> and I love even the way – it's actually the person playing it. It's not Phil Collins. He was interviewed and said, no, no. All right. The guy actually plays the drums very accurately, but it's not me in the gorilla suit. It's actually an actor that's a professional gorilla Im- imitator. Yeah, I'm right. not sure how many of those there are around the world. But they had to teach him to play the drums. They gave oh, him an right. intensive five-day course on playing the drums because he's only got to play it for that really short yeah. part of it. But I just love, as you say, he kind of snorts. You just feel that emotion – then he rolls his head around yeah, and he's about to yeah, engage right. in some really heavy physical activity. And then but when then the he camera launches. pulls back, he launches into yeah, it and it's that's so right. cool. And I think that's that's the emotion that people obviously feel. They, that launch, they just feel that build up and away they go. So anyway, fascinating where we're going with our advertising and how we're getting better and better at predicting where ads are going to mm. have a, an impact. Yeah, very, very cool. Now, I hope it's not actually a common thing, but folks, every now and then we see it pop pop up on social media, particularly with the proliferation of Airbnb. It's the old hidden camera in the holiday accommodation trick. It's not a pleasant thing, having that sort of worry lurking around in your head, especially when you're on holidays and you just want to relax. Matt, many of us will try and let it go, but there is there a way that the average punter can relax on this and... and just, I don't know, enjoy their holidays? Mm, I'm sorry now, it's actually stuck in everyone's it head. Is isn't it is stuck in my head. And I had, like, I would have thought about it in the past, but now I'm probably going to think about it every time, all the time. I do apologise, but it's, <laughs> it's harsh reality, unfortunately. In fact, there was a survey done recently of 2,000 Airbnb guests, mm. and they said, or 58% have said, of them said they were worried about a hidden camera in the room. Yeah. And with good reason, because there's been some pretty infamous incidents. There was an incident in South Korea. 42 motel rooms they found in one motel, all had hidden cameras, and they were all live streaming 24-7. People paid to be a subscriber to watch these 42 rooms. They could just go and click on whichever room they wanted. Oh, room 17B, let's go and have a look at that one. All live streaming, so that's obviously pretty scary. So in that case, it wasn't Airbnb, it was... It It was was a motel, motel. exactly right, yeah. And I don't want to say that this is an Airbnb problem. No, no, That was just one survey, but... Any places, any accommodation places, any private accommodation, any there are so many opportunities out yeah. there. And I think it happened more in the private rental accommodation market rather than motels, even mm. though that was a motel incident, because they've got access to their own home, so mm. they can do whatever they like do there. A motel, like. it's a bit harder for someone to come and do it. But there was also an incident of a couple staying in Florida, and the guy looked up at the smoke alarm and went, that's a funny-looking smoke alarm. I haven't seen one of those before. And then he got up close and went, 
It's a strange little hole there, and he actually pulled it off and found a hidden camera in the smoke yeah. alarm above the bed. So you yeah. kind of think, what are they watching there? People sleeping? Uh, maybe not. And then uh, New Zealand, there was an incident there, which, again, I say this sometimes, James, I hate to say it, but it was quite clever. There was a hidden camera in a shampoo bottle in oh. some private accommodation. So you think, shampoo bottle, how do they do that? But it was a shampoo bottle that was mounted on the wall in the in the shower area yeah, right. and obviously had shampoo and it all worked, but there was a hidden camera in that. Yeah. So gee, what do you film when people are in the shower? Mm. Obviously only one thing. So it's incidents like that. So that scares people. If you go and search now for spy camera, go on to Google, search spy camera. I tried it. 458 million hits I got on spy camera. What? So if you want a spy camera, I reckon there's some out there that you can get. There's a market. There's a market there. Obviously they're very clever. They use incredibly small apertures on the actual camera. So we're mm. talking about maybe one millimetre. And you can put them behind anything because they're so small. So a clock, for We're example. not trying to sell spy cam- cameras <laughs> no, here, by no, the sorry. way. <laughs> Let's go the other way. So what we're trying to do is say, what do you do about it? So there's a few things to do about it. When you walk into that apartment, that private apartment that you might have just rented for a day or two, any, or even motel rooms, and have a look around. There is a tool that I'm going to tell you about in a moment. But the first thing to do is just have a bit of a look. So when you see, for example an alarm clock in the shower area, you think, oh, it's a strange place to have an alarm clock. Why would I need an alarm clock in a shower area? Let's have a look at that. Or any alarm clock, I suppose, for that matter. That's yeah, a yeah. prime place to actually hide something. Yeah, a teddy bear. Um, teddy bear sitting <laughs> in, in your shower. Yeah. In the shower, that's right. Yeah. But they're not just after the shower. They, they're kind of yeah. after things all over the place. Smoke alarms, obviously, you mentioned that one already. See two smoke alarms in the ceiling. Have a look at the smoke alarms. Do they look different to the other smoke alarms, that type of thing? Mm. And even passive infrared sensors, the standard alarm sensors you see in the corner of a room. Again, if you see a couple of them in a room, you think, do they really need two? And that one mm. looks a bit different. Or again, in the shower area, do you really need a, a passive infrared sensor in the shower area? So look around for those sort of things, first of all. Look for that little 21 millimeter hole that doesn't look like it's part of it. That's obviously a part of it. But then you can now buy a tool that allows you to actually try and sense out these particular cameras. They're yeah, not right. necessarily emitting any special rays you can see. But what you do is this little device allows you to send out some high-powered LEDs. So it's basically like an, a viewfinder. You look through it. It sends out high-powered LEDs. And if they detect a camera lens anywhere they'll reflect back red. Ah. So you just walk in. If you think, oh, just rather than go and lift off every painting off the wall and every clock that's on the wall, I'll just put this up to my eye, turn it on, out goes the high-powered LEDs, and wow. you just walk along the wall and go, yep, that's all for, oh, hold on, there's a red dot red there, dot. and you look there, oh, that clock over there on the wall looks like, oh, what's behind there? I found this little device there. So it's a way for you to fairly easily find them. You've still got to be looking at what you're trying to find, but if you want to do a bit of a sweep, maybe just in the bathroom, for example, in the bedroom, if someone wants to watch me make my toast and egg in the morning, then good luck to them, yeah. I reckon. So I don't care that much about the kitchen, trying but still. Trying to do it in the nude. <laughs> well, maybe I should do that. Maybe, maybe <laughs> that might be more interesting That'll for people. Regret it. <laughs> That's it. So, take that, will you? <laughs> so it's a, it's a little tool. You can buy them. There's a number of them online. You can buy probably about a hundred bucks you spend on it. So for people that are now paranoid about every place you're going to book into, this is a potential solution. Being aware and alert is obviously the first bit of advice we give for everyone, but this tool will allow you just to see that little red pin dot coming back at you and you know you found something. And perhaps pack a, a roll of electrical tape just so you can cut off a little centimetre piece and just stick it over the top <laughs> That's of right. it. Gotcha. Don't report them, just cover it up. Just cover it up. <laughs> <laughs> And here's another cool debate for the dinner table, or maybe even a long car trip. Are electric vehicles just a car with modern technology added, 
Or is it actually a case of some high-end modern technology with wheels added to it? Now let's pause and think about that for a second. Well, apparently Sony makers of all things sound and light and Honda are ganging up to blur the lines completely now, Matt. That's exactly right. And I think it's a really good point. When I think of a Tesla, I think of a really modern computer. What it does inside that is really cool. Lots of gimmicky features, just like when you get a new phone or a new computer or a new tablet. You've got all these new gimmicks and features that you can use, Mm. which is kind of like a Tesla. But that's all of that on wheels. On wheels. And then you see other manufacturers who are traditional manufacturers and they take a normal car and add a bit of technology to it and put a battery and electric motors in there and go, hey, we've got an electric vehicle. But what a concept this is where you take a huge electronics manufacturer, worldwide domination in certain areas, very well-known, well-respected in Sony, and a car company that's been fantastic at making cars for many years. They're both from Japan, so that obviously Mm -hmm. helps a little bit there. Putting those two together, I can see some really great collaborations coming out of this because Honda can just go crazy and say, we'll pump these things out. We know how to manufacture stuff, but Sony, you take care of the electronics, and they'll say, we're going to make this really cool electronics. We don't care about how you make motors and how you mass produce these. We'll just make all these cool electronics for it. So this is really exciting. Well, I mean, two big, two enormous giants uh, in the corporate world there. Yeah. Is it going to be Sony or is it going to be Honda or is it going to be Shonda or is it going to be <laughs> Pony? Or? I, I, I did think that as well, and I suspect they'll come up with a completely new brand name. I did like Shonda when I thought about <laughs> how you might do a bit of a portmanteau with putting them together. I thought Shonda was my favourite there. But I think they'll come up with a whole new brand name. Now, Sony did actually show off a car before this collaboration started. Sony did show off, I'm saying Shonda now already. (laughs) Already. Yeah, it's caught on. Sony did show off a car at CES 2020. The idea. Yeah, that's right. And then uh, at CES 2022, they showed off a car. They had a car called a Vision S and then a Vision S02. It was never really designed to go into production. I think, as with many things at CES, it was designed to say, look what we've got, and then judge reaction, maybe an emotional reaction from people to see whether or not they like the idea. And they were showing off some of their technology, but still, they're probably not that good at making wheels and mm. a body of a car. But they still had a concept car. But now, the next one, I'm really excited about what will happen at CES 2023 when they'll come up with some new Shonda vehicle using everything that Honda's got to offer and everything Sony's got to offer. I think mm. this is really exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... Um Probably opening it up for for other um, you know similar companies to make similar amalgamations. Perhaps. Well, well, you're probably right. Actually, there might be some opportunities there for companies to say, "Let's get together." I mean, Apple. There was some talk at one stage that Apple is going to make an electric vehicle. We haven't really seen anything developed from that. But mm. imagine if Apple got together with some American company, Ford, GM, someone, and said, "Let's make a EV together." Wouldn't that be exciting? Mm. And forget about Apple CarPlay. Forget about plugging your phone in. There'd be some other cool way because these here <laughs> say, and I love this. The Sony PlayStation will be compatible with the car. I'm not sure what that means. I'm not so, sure if you so drive the car. So you can take your car. controller in there and, and operate the car. I, I have no control. idea. It's saying that the PlayStation is compatible with it. I don't know whether that means that you play the PlayStation while you're in the car, supposedly right. driving, or you do just have a, a controller that you sit there and drive the car with and drive it like a game. I don't know. Goodness but me. that's the sort of thing that they're trying to do, obviously, is trying to bring whatever products they've already got out there and bring them together. Yeah, wow. Well, that's a, definitely a watch this space for that one. Here's a headline for you, folks. Telstra has refused to connect clients to the NBN SkyMaster satellite service, believing it is not a solution that is acceptable. 
They've now signed a deal with satellite constellation provider OneWeb. Matt, help me out here. I've clearly missed an episode and I need to catch up. What's going on? <laughs> You're going to have to explain this right from the, grass, uh, the ground upwards. Sure. Way back when Stephen Conroy was the communications minister, he proposed the MBN. Fantastic. Fibre mm-hmm. to the premises. We're going to have all these wonderful features, brilliant download speeds, upload speeds. Gigabit will be something we'll all be throwing around as a general term. How many gigabits have you got in your download? And that was the start of it all. A few things have happened since then, but one of the things, and I actually met with Stephen Conroy as the communications minister at the time, trying to convince him to stop calling the satellite version of MBN, MBN. Because all these wonderful things that were promised and all the advertising you would see about what you could do with this wonderful connection, they kind of used the MBN term of something exciting and new. But when you stick a geostationary satellite, so one Mm. that sits above the same point on the Earth as the Earth rotates, when you stick that at 36,000 kilometres above the Earth, which is where they sit then all those exciting things get a bit lost because you get this huge amount of latency, this mm. lag. When you click on something, you've got to wait for it to travel up, down, yeah. back up, down. 75,000 kilometres or so. Well, when yeah. you do it twice to get the, the information back from where oh, you're yeah, getting of course, it, you're yeah. up to about 144,000 kilometres. It is travelling at roughly the speed of light, 3 by 10 to the 8 metres per second, but that's still just in still that communication link is distance. over half a second of latency there. So everything you do has got that bit of lag, which is frustrating. And I, I actually gave an offer to Stephen and his advisors that he had there in that particular meeting. I said, all I want you to do is do your normal work that you would normally do in front of a computer, but do it for one day, one day only, from a satellite connection, and then see if you still should call it MBN. And they told me I was silly and to, to run away, little boy. But that was a thing. People try and use what they call the MBN, and they're going, oh, it's not as good as they promised because they're using satellite. Telstra, in being a retail service provider, connect people to the MBN, fibre to the premises, fibre to the node, fibre to the curb, etc. They don't connect people to the NBN version of satellite or the satellite version of NBN, typically called SkyMuster, because Telstra knew that all these things that were promised, they just weren't good enough with a satellite service. So they mm. chose, they made a business decision to say, if you want to connect to satellite, use one of the other guys, because we don't think it's good enough for us. Mm. But they need a solution there because there are points of Australia where you just simply don't have reception. So you need some sort of solution. Now, good old Elon has come along and he's put Starlink up there. As we know, he's getting towards 42,000 low Earth orbit satellites that he's putting up there in Starlink. And they're being used. They're in beta at the moment. They're being tested. And people are finding the experience pretty good because they're not at 36,000 kilometres above the Earth. But some of those satellites are as low as 500 kilometres, typically the ones we're talking about with this story is one where it might be 800 to 1,200 kilometres above the Earth. When you're talking about 800 kilometres compared to 36,000, yeah. it's pretty obvious you're going to have less latency there. But Telstra have said, well, we need some sort of solution and Elon's going to come along and take away some of our customers that might be using their mobile phone for communication, for example, their data services on their phone. So we need something. So they've teamed up with OneWeb and OneWeb is basically planning a 648 satellite constellation. They've already got 428 in orbit at the moment. So they've done a fairly pre- a pretty good job in getting all those satellites up there. They've got another couple hundred to go there. Not the same as 42,000. Admittedly, they're slightly different satellites. They've got slightly different bandwidth capabilities. But the great part about this is it's competition. And that's what we're after. Mm. So in the future, when you live somewhere regionally, you'll be able to say, oh, I've got Elon Musk's Starlink service. And that's 
this pricing and I find the report so it's got this speed and this sort of latency or I've got Telstra have got their service provider OneWeb and they've got those same stats I can compare and there'll be some other ones we've talked before about Amazon for example are talking about their satellite service what they're doing there so there'll be some healthy competition a lot of stuff up in the sky James spinning yeah, around a there a lot of junk up there a lot of stuff there that's yeah. another story it is absolutely right but the good part is people in regional Australia this is the sort of service they need now it won't help you with your mobile phone reception, unfortunately, because these satellite services all need some form of dish, some form of receiver to be able to track satellites or be able to receive the signal from those satellites. So unfortunately, you're not going to be able to walk around with a mobile phone. Mm. Having said that, you can get satellite mobile phones, but the normal mobile phone you've got, it's not going to help reception with that. But at least in a house, in a camper van maybe, you'll be able to have some form of satellite service. And then if you had that in your house, you could use Wi-Fi calling, but when you go to the back paddock, No, if you don't get mobile phone reception, this isn't going to help. Now, Matt, we've talked in recent weeks about how boating is getting an EV facelift, but it's not all peaches and cream, apparently. As it turns out, water is a bit of a drag. (laughs) Very good, James. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. You've been waiting the whole time just for that one line. Yes, I have. (laughs) Now, we did talk about before another boat, and boats seem to be the flavour of the month at the moment with EV boats coming out, and the other boat we talked about was the old hydrofoil the solution in that particular example was, well, yes, there is a lot of drag on all that surface area, so you've got a lot of drag with a boat, mm. so huh, why not pop it out of the water? There's another company called Arc One, and they've got an electric boat that's just come out, and their solution is basically just put a big mother battery in it. So, <laughs> so rather than reduce the drag, they just accept the fact that, well, we're going to have a heap of drag there yeah. anyway, so what do we do about it? Well, just we just put a battery. most of the boat a battery. Uh, that's probably it. 220 kilowatt hour battery. To give you some Surely idea. that's a lot of weight. That's a well. lot. The Tesla Model S, for example, that's a fairly large car. It's got a 100 kilowatt hour battery. Most other electric vehicles that are coming out are around the 60 to 70 kilowatt hour battery. So 220 kilowatt hour, that's pretty damn big. Mm, it is, yeah. It's got a, a motor on there, the equivalent, I'm sorry to talk Imperial, but about a 500 horsepower motor. So it's got a fair bit of go. So if you want to tow behind it, if you want to have water skiers, for example, absolutely no problem at all with this. It's about a seven and a half metre long boat. And it's really just the concept of how do we get electric boats happening. Now, the manufacturers talk about the fact that the extra weight of that battery, because a battery that big has got a bit of weight about it, will actually help with its stability. And I accept that. It Mm. is heavier. You're probably not using it as a cargo ship, so you probably don't care so much about the weight there. But it would make it very stable. If you had some choppy waters, for example, you'd find this boat would be very stable because that would be heavy. And I don't know exactly how heavy, but that would be fairly heavy. Obviously, you can have heavy boats. They're not going to sink. People think maybe because... It's heavier, it's going to sink, but then you think of a cargo ship and you think, that's pretty heavy, it doesn't sink, so there must be some science. And the water that you displace is extremely heavy, but anyway. Yeah, Yeah, that's exactly right. The good old Archimedes. So uh, effectively, this boat here, if you want to get one, they're available now, $300,000 US if you want to grab one and take it down to Burnong Dam and take it for a bit of a spin. But their concept is, they're talking about this being the Model S of boats, so they can sell some of these boats, high-end luxury boat, at a dear price to then help them as they go forward with their R&D to start producing cheaper boats that are maybe not quite as powerful, maybe not quite as fast, but for 
the average person doesn't want to spend $300,000 on their boat. But it is an interesting space at the moment. Electric boats are happening now, and there's some pretty exciting concepts around there. This one will do 65 kilometres an hour. So, yeah, I've skied, but I only have skied at 65 k's an hour. <laughs> so, that's a pretty decent sort of pace. Yeah. About four hours you'll get out of it. So, if you want to go down and have a bit of fun skiing for the day, by the time you ski and you stop and you ski and you stop and you pull over and have a bit of a break and keep going, four hours actual skiing time or four hours actual on the water time is probably a reasonable amount of time. So, they get that by just having a big battery. And I presume it's got a warning light for when you're getting a bit low on your battery to so you can get back to shore and you don't have to paddle your way back. <laughs> I don't know if it came with some oars so you can stick them out the side and start <laughs> paddling your way back, but I'm sure it would have something yeah, no. like every electric vehicle I've seen that's got some sort of battery indicator and it just goes, looks like a mobile phone, it just shrinks down and tells you how much you've got or left really percentage really long extension cord. <laughs> that's right, across the water. Don't mind <laughs> me if it just pops out here a bit, it should be okay. If you didn't already know it, the future has arrived and it's dropping groceries on your doorstep in the ACT now. Forget click and collect. Drone delivers um, deliveries for your groceries are the way to go and it's definitely worth looking into the options for your address. Matt, with petrol prices skyrocketing, Surely people will be looking for any way possible to avoid jumping in their cars, and this is one way to do it. This is one way. Probably would have been good if it was around during the middle of the pandemic when people couldn't go out and get Mm -hmm. their their groceries. So this is with Wing. So Coles has partnered up with Wing. Wing is a subsidiary of Alphabet. Obviously, Alphabet is the new name for Google. So basically, this is Coles partnering up with Google to offer deliveries via drone. Now, only Mm -hmm. certain suburbs at this stage – but the idea here is to see how it goes. It's really a bit of a test case. They've only got 250 items they can deliver via this drone. I assume they're typically fairly light items. I think if you wanted a large case of water or soft drink, I probably don't think it would be able to handle it. It's really designed for fairly light things. In amongst those 250 items, you'll be pleased to know is toilet paper. So if we have <laughs> another rush on toilet paper, you can just order it via drone. And it's quite interesting. It'll have a, a drone that's got wings on it, so it's not relying on just the propellers to keep the uh, craft above the air. So it uses those to take off, vertical takeoff, but then it's got wings. So when it's in forward motion, it's using airflow to keep it up, which is better for battery power, obviously. It flies along, hovers about seven metres above your place, and along comes a tether line. So it drops the tether line down. down. Let's go of the... How cool is that? That's right. Let's go of the little parcel there, about 1.2 kilo maximum for the parcel at this stage, so not a lot of weight in there. And then the tether comes back up and away it flies. I don't know what happens when your toddler goes out and holds onto the tether line and tries to hold on while it flies away. Presumably your toddler's heavier than 1.2 kilos, so it would probably bring the drone down. But some other solutions use mini parachutes when they drop it, but this particular solution uses a tether line, which they think is a better solution. And this is really testing to see how it goes. And then as we go forward, we'll have more solutions, we'll have more products, we'll have heavier products it can take, Mm. a whole range of things. But at the moment, there's about seven suburbs in the ACT it can deliver to. I'm assuming that if you live in an apartment block, you're out of luck because I don't know how it kind of gets into your apartment <laughs> block and flies through you the lift. Navigate and to the balcony, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> That's right, maybe the balcony and just drops the tether in from there. So you've got to have some sort of yard for it to drop it into, obviously. A front yard, backyard, somewhere where it can hover above there and drop it down. It's very accurate in where it positions itself, so it's not going to drop it in the gutter of your house or drop it on top of your car. It's going to drop it pretty accurately where you say it needs to be dropped. So, so would someone be at Mission Control on a joystick 
uh, with a camera, or is this uh, all done on by GPS? All done autonomously. I would imagine wow. initially during the trial phase they would be having someone watch what's happening, but the idea is it's autonomous. They're not saving a huge amount of staff time if every one of these drones had one person, because you can imagine when they load up a yeah. truck to deliver, they've got yeah. lots of things and they can go on a run. If you had one person from the depot fly out to James's <laughs> place, drop it off, come back, it'd be very labour-intensive, so it's got to be done autonomously. But again, I would imagine in this trial period they're doing it They've also used wings already been used so far up in Queensland. They did a deal with KFC and they ran some deliveries for KFC. And that was through last year, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So they had those. They also had some drone deliveries for uh, Grand Plaza in Logan up in Brisbane. So they took certain products from that plaza. So it wasn't just one particular store. You could have a number of different products from different stores in there and have them delivered Drop off by your drone. Tiffany jewellery by. Drugs, yeah, you'd, yeah want be, you'd want a bit of safety in it, wouldn't you, if you had small, expensive items. But last year, the trials gave them 200,000 customer deliveries across the world with wings. So not a lot happening in Australia, a bit more happening overseas, but 200,000 across the world, 200,000 individual deliveries, yeah, then wow. that's not too bad. So they're getting there. So all the people who poo-poo this, and some people tell me and say, I'm dreaming when I think that drones will be delivering stuff. Well, it's they're happened. delivering it right now. you spot on the future is already here, but it's going to happen more and more and more. Okay, Matt, uh, it's time to dim the lights now and turn on the Barry White music, soft and slow, soft and low, I should say. There's a new electronic device for the bedroom that's going to save relationships all over the world. Mm, That's what I'm talking about. And I think it will, James. Give us the good oil on this one. I think this is a real relationship breaker and something that if people could solve this problem, I think often their relationships would be much better all throughout the day. And the problem, of course, is something I've got to admit, James, that my wife has to suffer through this. Uh, snoring. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> so people go to bed and they wake up the next morning and they say, oh, I woke up 10 times I last night. I a night with you. Snoring, pushing you over, blocking your nose, doing whatever I had to do to try and stop you snoring. And uh, just when I'd almost be back to sleep, away would go the trombone again. <laughs> well, it's an age-old issue, isn't it? It is. So the solution is... Not to try and stop someone snoring. We've tried that. We've tried strapping things around people's chins mm. or putting mouth guards in that try and open the airways or kicking people in the middle of the night, whatever. There's yeah. a whole range of solutions that have been tried. So this particular company has said, we give up. Forget about trying to stop people snoring. What about if you just couldn't hear it? So we've now got noise-cancelling earbuds that are targeting the frequency of snoring. Oh, seriously? And presumably snoring is a fairly low frequency. It seems to me, just thinking about snoring, that it does seem like it's a lower frequency. So you've got these earbuds that you can listen to music in them as well, but you can just put them in. They're quite snug. They're quite small. They should stay in your ear overnight. The batteries will last eight hours, so you should get a good night's sleep. But they're noise cancelling. We've seen noise cancelling earbuds before, but these ones are focused specifically on the snoring frequency. Saving the partners of snorers. That's right. So if you've got a snorer, forget about trying to stop them snoring. You put these in and say, good night, darling, and you wake up the next morning and did you snore last night? I don't know. I didn't care about it. I just went to sleep and away I went. (laughs) So saving relationships. So I can see relationships being damaged by snoring. This will be the saviour. This company is set to make a mint. That's right. (laughs) Do you prefer to text rather than talk on the phone? Because Google's latest Pixel feature has got it covered. Matthew, what's this about? I've been in meetings sometimes and you've seen a phone call come through from someone. You go, oh, I've, got to, I've got to talk to that person. But it's a bit rude when you pick up the phone in the middle of the meeting and say, G'day, Jimmy, how are you going? Yeah. I'll just catch up on what we're doing this weekend. So you 
press the hang-up button or you send back the automated message and then you might sneakily text them under the table because no one would notice that, would they? No <laughs> in a meeting sitting around, no one could possibly see you texting under yeah. the table. So you send a quick text off and that's fine. But sometimes the person at the other end can't text. Sometimes when I'm in a car, for example, and I want to go and you know, a quick little trip somewhere, I'll just ring someone and catch up with a couple of different bits and pieces we need to. And you can do voice to text, but it never seems to work that well. But that's mm. relying on the other person being able to text as well. But now you've got the latest features from Google in their Android operating system where you can do the full voice to text and text to voice. So you could be in that meeting, someone could ring you in the car, going along conveniently wanting to have a conversation with you. You could actually receive their phone message, and sorry, their phone conversation as a text, as a text. and then you text them back and they'll get an automated voice that oh, actually right. responds to them in voice. So you can be at one end texting away happily. At the other end, it's a phone call and vice versa, obviously. So it can be that complete transition from voice to text and going back to forth to make it convenient for whatever each person at the end of the line needs to do in their environment. So it's an automatic thing for the conversation because I know that um, you, know, you that you can do voice to text yeah. and I know that I can get my, my car can read out my text messages for me as I'm driving yeah. but this is just combined the two in the one app. More uh, or less, yeah. So it basically, and, and I know what you're saying, you, you can try and have those conversations. I know you, you hear it read out the text message to you and you press a button on the steering wheel and you do a text message yeah. back but you want to just check it before it goes because you might have just told someone completely the wrong thing. It's a bit clunky. Opposite. It's a bit clunky and, and you do get a bit distracted because you then you you can't help if you look down at the screen just to see that the message that you dictated actually has come out right, <laughs> come out and right. so it's a little yeah. bit dangerous. Because having a conversation in the car, hands free, of course, it's just like talking to someone in the seat beside you. So if you had a conversation with someone, you're talking in the car, and that's this is where I can see this being used perfectly. You'll be talking in the car, and the person at the other end is in an environment where they can't talk in the theatre, for example, in a meeting, whatever environment they can't talk in. So they can be texting away and you can have this seamless, although it'd be slightly delayed, conversation, texting to talking, talking to texting, going back and forth between the two. Yeah. Very cool. Very interesting. Shipping is an essential part of the global economy. It's also a key polluter in a world that needs some urgent atmospheric detoxing. So the big shipping company Maersk is, and I think I've said that right, is stepping up with green fuel options, though I should qualify that is greener fuel options, Matt. Maersk has been looking at a range of different options for how they can make their fleet greener. About 3% of all our carbon dioxide emissions come from shipping fleets around the world, and Maersk's the biggest of those. So they figure if we can do something about it, maybe other shipping companies can do something about it, but also from their perspective, they want to be able to try and solve their problem. And there are some countries now where they're expecting some net zero in certain manufacturing processes. I know Mm. South Korea, for example, companies like Hyundai and Kia, they're trying to get to the point where their whole manufacturing process is net zero. So if their inputs are net zero, then that makes it much easier for them to produce net zero. If their inputs have got some not net zero about it, then they've got to try and work out some trade-offs to get there. So it is important in a worldwide trade situation. And then you've got the transport, and that's the big one. That's the killer, isn't it? Yeah, so you might produce your car, for example, net zero, but then you put it on a shipping container or you put it on a ship and off it goes and you go, oh, no, I forgot about that part. Yeah. So we've talked about hydrogen as possible fuel. I'll go back two steps. When we talk about batteries, we talked about batteries earlier on with the Arc-1, that's great for a four-hour little pleasure craft. Mm. But when you start to talk about sending ships long distance around the world, batteries are going to just, all that weight of those batteries, you want to have all that weight with containers. So it's not going to happen in the near future. 
Then we talked about hydrogen before, in particular green hydrogen, because we can produce hydrogen in a green method. Put that on ships because you can use that as a fuel source, just like a, an oil or a kerosene type fuel, because you've got fairly good density, energy density in hydrogen. But you've got to have pressurized containers mm. for that. And you've also got to have the ability to produce it from a, an e-hydrogen perspective. So what Maersk are doing at the moment, they've ordered 12 ships that are going to use methanol, but they want the methanol produced with e-methanol. So methanol itself, you think, well, that's just like burning another fuel. It's another, yeah, well, I can't say fossil fuel, but it's, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's still burning, it's still producing still CO2. Produce CO2 yeah. The good part about, and if they produce e-methanol, when you're producing e-methanol, you're actually taking CO2 out of the atmosphere to make your e-methanol, and then when you ah, right. burn it in inverted commas, then you're producing CO2. So the net sum of your yeah, right. production and then use of the product means that you get pretty close to net zero for that fuel. So Maersk has said, well, this is a pretty good way forward. As you say, a green earth fuel, definitely. Pretty good way forward. They've ordered 12 ocean-going ships. They'll cost about $175 million each. So they're making some serious mm. investment into this. And they're also not seeing it as a permanent solution. They're seeing this as a stopgap measure. It's pretty yeah. hard to justify, isn't it, when you're spending $175 million on each ship with 12 ships as a stopgap. So that's their solution to try and bridge the gap, try and reduce the amount of carbon dioxide they're emitting. And again, obviously probably testing it out to see where they go next. Is it more e-methanol? Is it more hydrogen? What are they doing? And they're making an effort. Can I say that again? They're <laughs> making an effort. <laughs> and I think that, that's right. And, and that's commendable. It is. And in the whole scheme of things, they've got 700 vessels. So when yeah. you've got 50,000 merchant vessels around the world producing that 3% I mentioned, 700 of those, then you know, that gives them a reasonable percentage of the ships worldwide that are actually producing this CO2. Mm. So if they can make a difference, and other shipping, other shipping companies can make a difference as well. But the good part about this is that it's actually forcing some other changes around the world. There is some methanol produced around the world at the moment, but not enough for Maersk even for their 12 ships, not enough e-methanol produced. So bottom line is other manufacturers are having to change what they're doing to produce what Maersk will need in the future. Yeah, right. So that's good for a whole supply chain process. So it's a good move forward. It's a step in the right direction. But again, it's led by companies. It's led by organisations. Yeah. Governments are catching up. Governments are following. They're not really leading the way, and that's a bit disappointing. But it's just—it's going to happen. Society is moving us forward with climate change. Governments aren't. Mm. And with that, folks, I need to draw the blinds and close the shutters. It's time to move on before all the neighbours start complaining, and then the cops arrive, and then there's all this unnecessary explaining to do. And you know what I mean. Thanks again for another great week of Tech Talking, Matt. Oh, thank you, and I'm just interested to see where we go next on our pleasure cruise. <laughs> and I'm your host, your cruise director, James Eddy. As always, it's been an absolute pleasure occupying your headspace this week, and we look forward to doing exactly the same thing next week.